Well, we've all witnessed uh, lately, there's nothing like a little change of pace to grab our attention, right? We go to TV and we, th- we thought we were going to watch a certain thing and those sports are no longer on there. Or, you know, you tune in the, to watch the local news to get what you used to get, you know, from the local news. And now it starts with a, a you know, a, a presentation from the president about the latest uh, concerns. So, you know, everything's out of order. It's a little, little out of context. It's, it, we just know that something's not right. Something doesn't feel good. And in Galatians 6, there in verse 11, I didn't read it. We'll come back and read it. But there in verse 11, it's like an interruption to the conversation. So we've had this whole flow. We've been in and out of this same conversation all the way through. Chapters 5 and 6 make it very personal. It's where the rubber meets the road. And then he gets down to the very end of the book. And now verse 11. This book has been transcribed, written down by a scribe. Now it becomes a very awkward handwritten thing. Verse 11. You see how large a letter, and we're not talking about the length of the letter. Galatians is not the longest letter Paul wrote. Perhaps Romans. Uh, so we've got longer books that Paul has been involved with that he's, that he's given. But he, but he dictated them. Others wrote them down. This has to do with the size of the letters, evidently. Right? So we've got this handwriting. We'll come back to that. I've written unto you with my own hand. So now, this final paragraph, with his own hand, it could read, look at the large letters that I've written with my own hand. Not the length, but the letters themselves. The handwriting, unusually large. It seems that Paul took the pen from the scribe, and he began to write this final paragraph. So instead of just taking the letter and at the very end, writing his name, or signing some salutation to the folks, he writes this entire final paragraph. So it's sort of out of order. It's a little odd. And so it strikes us that way. It kind of, kind of grabs our attention, makes us take a little second look at it. It's as if he's saying, don't miss this. Listen carefully. You may recall the mention of Paul's thorn in the flesh, uh, 2 Corinthians, right? We, we came across that before. And remember in Galatians and chapter 4, it says there that they would have uh, given him their own eyes. And so you begin to realize that that thorn in the flesh he had may have in fact been what? Yeah, some sort of eye problem, some poor eyesight, some, some even disease that would cause him. And if we were to ask Dr. Donna you know, to give us illustrations, maybe you know illustrations of people with poor eyesight and the handwriting. My handwriting looks like I have poor eyesight. But the, but the, but the sense of when you have poor eyesight, how awkward the handwriting can be. And that's what's happening here in this final paragraph and he's writing, and he's sort of drawing circles around. He's making arrows to things, and a little hashtag, a little something that says, Look, I want you to notice these things. Legalism is not just another way of looking at this matter of salvation. Legalism is in direct opposition to salvation by grace. Not just a contrast, but it's a contradiction. Everything that the cross of Christ stands for, Legalism is, if you use that as your pattern of life for salvation, legalism is in contradiction to the cross. The cross has fulfilled everything. Christ sat down, said, it is finished, nothing more to be done. Legalism is contradiction to that. So this practical section of Galatians, remember I said Galatians 5 and 6, we have this very practical section, and it gives us now the contrast between bondage and liberty, that's the first half of chapter 5, 
Then he gave us a contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which was the second half of chapter 5. Last week, the contrast of living for self or for one another. That was last week, the first half of the chapter. And then we picked it up verse 11. The contrast to living for the praise of men or for the glory of God. A key thought is motivation. Not just what we're doing, but why we are doing it. Warren Wearsby put it this way, a good work is spoiled by a bad motive. A good work is spoiled by a bad motive. Imardi Hahn summarizes this section, noting the three crucifixions. You see the first there, the crucifixion of Christ. There in, at the end of verse 12, the persecution, of, or, yeah, the persecution for the cross of Christ. Then there is the crucifixion of the world unto me. That's the end of verse 14. Then you have the crucifixion of self. We are now new creatures in Christ Jesus, verse, 16, verse 15, verse 16, 17. What is the basis of our salvation? It's the crucifixion of Christ. The result is that I'm now dead to the world. The victory is that I have, he says, the rule. The victory is that I have peace, verse 16. Peace both now and forevermore, right? The cross of Christ is in fact a place of death. Death to the law, death to the world, death to self. But Romans 6 reminded us, if we are dead with Christ, we shall also what? Live with Him. And so we walk according to this rule. Verse 16, what is the rule? Peace, mercy, and in verse 17, and we're untroubled by the cares of the world. Well, isn't that a pretty good thought for the day in which we live, right? The rule by which we live because of the crucifixion of Christ is peace, mercy, and untroubled by the cares of this world. Well, Paul then concludes Galatians where he began, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul's concern? Why did he pick up the pen and start writing? Why, why did he sort of scribble this out as if he were drawing circles and making marks and bringing our attention? First of all, he wants to remind us who the legalist is. Verse 12 and 13, as many desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, follow the law, only this, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So as a way to stay out of the persecution associated with the cross of Jesus Christ, they added back in the law, which was more accepted. It's a strange, strange thing. But the law is more accepted than the grace of God. People would rather be told, do this, this, and this, and you'll be okay. Rather than saying, there's nothing you can do except receive the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he doesn't have much good to say about the legalists. hasn't, and he still doesn't. Some who may have been sincere, but all who were spoiled by bad motives. I call them competitors. You see their desire to make a fair show in the flesh. John declared just the opposite in John chapter 3. He must increase, I must what? Decrease. Then they were compromisers, lest they should suffer, right? Trying to keep out of suffering themselves. So, so, yeah, I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, but we can do this, we can add that, and these are accepted. And so they would compromise in order to be more accepted. But Romans 8 tells us, being joint heirs with Christ, we'll also suffer with Him. Suffering will be a part. There'll, there'll be friends that don't quite get us. There'll be circumstances in the world that don't quite fit who we are. There'll be conversations we have that won't make sense to people who do not understand the grace of God. 
Don't compromise. We must not approach the question of salvation with any other wisdom. 1 Corinthians told us that. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. What? Foolishness. To us who are saved, it is the power of God. And then they were constrainers. You see it there in the middle of verse uh, 12. To be circumcised, to follow the law. Constrain is a forceful persuasion. Much like you would think of, you ever had a, um, I remember we went to the flower show and you sign up for things and then you have people call you, right? <laughs> and they want to know when Mr. and Mrs. Carroll will both be there because they know if they can get you both cornered, right? Because normally would say, well, I have to talk to my wife or I have to, you know, but if they can get you both there, that's what this is. That's what this constraining is. It's like, it's like getting you cornered to where you now have to accept it. But what did Paul has clearly marked their, their persuasion? And what is the only thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the only thing that Paul ever spoke of as constraint? What's the only thing that ever constrained Paul? 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ constrains me. So I'm not trying to constrain you to be something. I'm not cr- trying to constrain you to say you've got to do this, this, and this. The only thing that constrains me is the love of Christ. And that is to serve, to do for others love. And then I use a word that's not, it's not a word, but I, I put it in there, convictors. It's, but it, they are quick to judge. That's what it's about. They're, the legalist is all, the first person that's going to tell you why you did what you did and why it's wrong, right? The, the legalist always tries to find more, it seems like they always look for more ways to make you guilty rather than ways to have you forgiven. Right? They're always the first to tell you why what you did got you into the trouble that you're in. Now, I know mom told you that, and I know dad, like I will do sometimes, say, well, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. But that's not, the legalist is, is giving you laws about why you shouldn't go there because, it, you know, and so if you don't go there, the concept is then I'll be okay. And then life happens, as we talked about last week, and we realize that, no, it's not just a list of rules. Paul has clearly marked who the legalist is. And then he points our attention back to Jesus Christ, verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but I'm a new creature in Christ. As many as walk according to this rule, peace, mercy on Israel, And no man's going to trouble me. The cross is our foundation. Our conversation always has to come back to the cross. Without the cross, we've got nothing else. If we don't don't insert the cross in our conversation about salvation, there's nothing else I have. I have have no other foundation. I have no other certainty. No other message to give you. Galatians chapter 2, if righteousness came by the law, what did Paul say? If righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Why would, why would Christ, God's Son, come to earth to die on a cross if you still had to do this, this, and this, and this in order to be saved? You can't, you can't have the cross plus all of this. The cross has fulfilled all these things which you now know you could never do. So why pick it up again? The cross has fulfilled it. Well, the person of the cross you see there in verse 14 It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Five times in this paragraph, 
45 times in this one book of Galatians, Paul mentions the name of Jesus. Any message that takes any glory in any other name than Jesus Christ, any message of salvation that gives you any other name than the name of Jesus Christ is not the gospel. You may know Father Abraham, right? You may know the great Hebrew Shema of Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one Lord. You may even know all the Ten Commandments of Moses. But if you don't know the cross of Jesus Christ, you don't know salvation by grace. And then consider the power of the cross. Verse 14 goes on, that we're crucified unto the world. Neither you nor any other thing holds any power over me. The cross has made me free. Romans 8, we read it. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1 says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Is gain. So what's the worst thing that can happen to us? Now, I'm not wishing for death. I'm not looking for it. I want to be careful, right? We all want to. But what's the worst thing that can happen to us? Well, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We have the ultimate victory, and that is through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, of course, includes the resurrection, which we'll come to in a few weeks, right? Even if our churches aren't full, we'll still have the message out there of the resurrection. Well, that a Messiah would come, everybody was looking for the Messiah. Everybody understood there was going to be a Messiah, but that a Messiah would come and die on a cross? And to die on a cross for my sins? That was the blasphemy. That was the thing that he said just simply could not be. It could not be that Christ would die on a cross and that he would die on a cross for our sins. But the power of the cross can in no other way be received than by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. Works are always more appealing. But the fact that we cannot save ourselves, we are, we are utterly helpless to save ourselves. That's the power of the cross. On top of that, if by works, if, think about this, if you were saved by works, could you ever be certain could you ever be certain that you have been forgiven if salvation were by works, right? You would only feel as good about it as your last, you know, victory and your last defeat, right? You could never feel certain. You would never have confidence if you had to mix works in in any way to salvation. That's the power of the cross. Why then did Christ die? The purpose is there in verse 15. We've been made what? We've been, the end of verse 15, we've been made a, a new creature, right? Old things pass away. All things are becoming new. That's the, that's the purpose of the cross. The Jews are not replaced in the plan of God, but now all in Christ by the cross of Jesus Christ. You see there, the mercy is still on Israel, right? Verse 16. But we're now new creatures in Christ. And all of us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Greeks, bond or free. We've been all made to drink into one spirit, and that's, that's why Christ came. That's why Christ died. That was the purpose for the coming of Christ, that we might have salvation. All of us, 
in the body of Christ by the death of Christ. No wonder Paul gloried in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul put a circle around the legalists. He wanted to make sure you mark them. He drew an arrow toward Christ saying, don't forget the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he puts a little asterisk by his own name down in the footnotes. You see in verse 17. From henceforth let no man trouble. Now he goes from talking about you to saying who? Me. Let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was branded. He was certainly branded with Christ. Go back a few pages to 2 Corinthians. So just before Galatians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Pretty lengthy passage there, beginning with verse 23. How Paul was branded physically, he bore the marks of Christ, of his following Christ. 2 Corinthians, if I said that, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. So they're ministers of Christ, and I speak as a fool. I am more in labor, so he's talking in reference to the, to the uh, legalists of the day. Are they ministers of Christ? Then I must be more. In labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison, more frequent, in deaths oft. As, as the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've, I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in parables among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak? And I am not weak, who is offended, and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knowing that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under uh, Eretus, the king, kept the city of Damascus, Damascus, with a garrison desirous to be apprehended me. And through a window he was let down in a basket and let down by the wall and escaped the hands of the governor. What have you been through lately? You think it's so tough? I doubt that any of us have been through much trouble simply because of our identification with Christ. I mean, life may be tough right now. You can't get your coffee like you used to. Well, I'm really sorry. You know, right? I mean, seriously, when you start thinking about the trouble that Paul went through, right? How he was branded. Literally, it's tattoos because the followers of idols, they would would cut themselves and tattoo themselves with brandings that were like the idols that they worshipped. And Paul is saying, these are my tattoos. These scars I bear because of following after Jesus Christ. So I would ask, What identifying marks do you have of the grace of God? What identifying marks do you have of the grace of God? It might be something simple, like you didn't say what you could have said, right? You just held your tongue. It might be that simple. It might be more significant. But what what identifying marks do you have? Suffering physically is not something any of us will ever endure. But don't kid yourself, as I mentioned earlier. It goes on in the world today. Open Doors was one of the places I looked up. And I found that in Open Doors, it says that 11 Christians die every day. Now, that's on average, right? So it's not like, 
but 11 Christians die every day simply for professing their faith in Jesus Christ. It happens. Just by sheer numbers, more Christians are persecuted today than ever in the history of the world by numbers. Voice of the Martyrs, I mentioned them. I was reading some things there about baptism. Baptism now is forbidden in China. I've said oftentimes, you can do whatever you want, say whatever you want, but you get to a certain point and there now becomes this mark, but you can't do that. Because now you've identified with Jesus Christ. In China, you cannot be baptized. In Nepal, I read about a young man who, it was fine that he went to church, but once he got baptized, what did his family do? They disowned him, right? They turned him out. None of us will ever have to go through that, I don't think, in our lifetime. But think about some of those things. Baptism, communion, just church attendance. Most of these things are pretty easy for us. And because they're pretty easy for us, we think of them as almost optional. At the very least, couldn't we think of these things as marks in my life that I'm a follower of Christ? Baptism, communion, church attendance. There's lots of other things that can go along with it. Just, just simple things. They're not optional. These things, these things are marks in my life that I have followed after Christ and nothing else. As someone once asked this question, if you were put on trial for your faith in Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were put on trial for your professed faith in Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, you must not believe he's he didn't, you know, he doesn't bother going to church. He doesn't bother doing, you know, is there enough evidence, just evidence that would suggest you're a follower of Jesus Christ? And then Paul was also willing just to be, in a sense, bothered for Christ, troubled, verse 17. Now, verse 17 is directed right at the legalist. And I read it through, and I'll read it again. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 17, if you go back and look through it, and you begin to realize that verse 17 is written directly to the legalist. And verse 17, in context, reads something like this. So you look up like, a, like an amplified Bible, or an expand, you know, and you start to see some of the context of it. And so if your celebrities, that is the leader, leaders in your religious efforts, all right, so all the well-known people, if your celebrities have any scars to show for the glory of Christ, then let them be shown. Otherwise, stop bothering me. You and I would say, just get off my back, right? You remember how Jesus described the legalist? I think I read it last week in Matthew 23. They bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders saying, you have to follow this and you have to do this, but they themselves are not willing to lift one finger. Right? They're quick to tell you what you ought to do, but not willing themselves to lift one finger. It's easy to mark the follower of Christ. It's easy to mark the follower of Christ because they always demand more of themselves than they do of others. So just be careful the next time you're tempted to say, well, somebody's not doing their fair share. 
Or how come they get away with things that I think I shouldn't be doing? And you start to, you start to look at others. Just be careful. Because you might be giving away your attitude. And maybe in the back of your mind you're thinking the grace of God may not be enough. If the grace of God is enough for you, then it's enough to let that go because that's not your, that's not your job to save them. It's your job to live for Christ, to love them, to serve them. That's what Christ did, right? He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and he gave himself. So just be careful the next time you're tempted to say somebody's not doing their part, or why does somebody get away with that, or whatever else you might be thinking. Just be careful, because you might be giving away your attitude that the grace of God is not quite enough, and you need, they need a little, a little something from you, right? Well, the final mark of the grace of in the life, the grace of God in the life of Paul was that he was blessed. It's there in verse 18. This was his amen. His amen. When life is over, when the tombstone is erected, when the final word is said, what is your amen? What is the thing you want to have ringing in people's ears? What's your amen? When the last chapter is written, when all the trouble is past, the worst you can imagine is over, when others have let you down, and you even disappointed yourself, maybe. Was it worth it? Do you wish it, you died with a little more stuff than you have right now? Should, do you feel like, maybe I should have just lived for my own happiness because nobody else is helping me? Is that the way you're going to end life? Is that the way you're going to feel? Is that going to be your amen? Being heirs through the cross of Christ, Paul concluded in Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Right? Is it worth it? Is that the amen? That the final thing? And I just picked up the words of this hymn. As a poem, blessed assurance, you know this, right? Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. Right, a preliminary, just a taste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. In the second stanza, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, Lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And it repeats that right in the chorus. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And with Paul we would say, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you have all things in control and that there is nothing that can come that would separate us from your love. You've not lost control, not of my life, not of the world's circumstance. We don't look at it as if you have caused something, more as you have allowed it. And we often endure things in our own life personally and in the world at large simply because we have not followed after you. Lord, in the circumstance of our world, may people be turned back to you. 
May people look for an answer that is beyond just a, a lighthearted, you know, whether the stock market is up or down. Something that is more enduring, more lasting, to which we can give a hearty amen. And we can say, that is the thing by which I am blessed. That is the thing by which I have lived my life. And that is the thing upon which I will be confident and give myself to and willing to say amen even as I lay my head down for the last time that God has seen me through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.